This is part two of our draft recap episode. Uh, we had to break this one apart because it went super long, but that's because there was so much to talk about, so much to unpack. And so in this episode, we're finishing up uh, the discussion of uh, the Ravens uh, later round draft picks. We're talking about the signing of DJ Fluker, and we hit on a couple of guys in the UDFA class. Enjoy. But let's let's stay on the interior O line track here. Uh, so now they're into their fourth round pick, uh, pick number one forty three. And this I, I I wouldn't do it justice if I didn't acknowledge this was a Cole Jackson special. Oh yeah. Uh, we all yeah. talk about certain guys who we kind of have been on throughout the process. Our draft booze. Ben Bredesen was definitely a guy that uh, Cole had been on and really driving the train for. And the Ravens taking here uh, in the fourth round at one forty three. So. Uh, Carrie, you know, we got, you got the Michigan connection, um, you know, the, the brotherly connection there with, with Jim Harbaugh. Uh, so, you know, they obviously have a lot of good information on Bredesen and they bring in another interior guy. He played left guard, uh, this last season, uh, at Michigan. And so, uh, another big body on the inside of the interior line. Yeah, this one was funny because, you know, they had just, t- um, taken uh, Tyree Phillips. So I said, okay, where they're, where they're going, you know, tackle guard let's see you know if they address it you know later down the line but the very next pick here we go with uh you know another interior office alignment um with uh bredesen i hadn't really watched much much of him before the ravens uh drafted him because i was so fixated on ruiz um just trying to really parse his game out and and figure out whether he was going to be a good value for the ravens at 28 um, I mean, the, the Saints took him at 24, so that didn't really, um, you know, mind up mattering. But when I kind of went back and watched Bredesen, man, I, I was really impressed, man. This guy, to me, uh, maybe even, you know, regardless of position, he, to me, is one of the, you know, safest kind of third round, fourth round picks you could make. You know, he's scheme diverse, uh, physical guy, sound guy. Um, I love that he's um, took snaps uh, at center during the senior bowl to kind of, you know, kind of diversify his uh, portfolio there. Um, so, I mean, this was a, you know, rock solid pick, um, you know, the guy that has good size as well. Um, even if he doesn't factor into the conversation at center, he brings, you know, depth and versatility to the guard position that could allow um, Bradley Bozeman to kick back inside to that center position. You know, he's a guy that, you know, started 31 games at center at uh, Alabama. So, you know, I think Bredesen, even if he doesn't play center, he kind of helps two spots at the same time. So, you know, this was a really, really good um, quality pick, good value for the Ravens. And, uh, you know, shout out to Cole for getting his guy. Yeah, he was super happy. He was super happy. It was it was the range of emotion. Cole was <laughs> was, was was on with us during uh, the, the second day of the draft. And so you saw maybe a little bit of uh, disappointment in the position, not the player when they selected J.K. Dobbins, because I know Cole thinks J.K. is an awesome player. And then you saw the highs of taking his guy. Uh, ben Bredesen and Chris, before I, I throw it over to you, uh, when I when I watched Bredesen, he uh, of a, of the guys that I watched, and I saw other guys, but but of, of maybe more so than any of the, the offensive linemen that I watched, 
um, a finisher's mentality. Plays with a nasty, nasty demeanor, wants to finish every block, wants to definitely set a tone out there on the field. Uh, and, and, you know, I love that uh, when, when I'm watching offensive linemen. I always look for that and, and love to see guys who play that way. And like Kerry mentioned, you know, hey, the more you can do, you know, taking snaps at center, um, you, you want to just be able to offer a lot of versatility. Probably also when they did the weigh-ins and measured those 31-inch arms, they said, look, you're probably going to have to take some snaps at center because <laughs> some teams may see you <laughs> as a center and not a guard. So you you probably want to do do that and put some of that on tape and, and in practice in front of the guys. But, Chris, what do you think about the Bredesen pick? I mean, it's a common theme where, you know, if they take him around earlier, I don't think people, you know, would question it. Because that, that's how talented he is. And then another thing that we've been hitting on, he's another two-time captain, team captain for the uh, Michigan Wolverines. So Drink. it's just, it, yeah, it's, everybody's drunk by now if they're playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like you said, he's a guy that's nasty. That's I think it was the Penn State game was the first game that I saw. And he was just, you know, he was doing the, the little little Ryan Jensen action. Not as as bad as Ryan Jensen would do. Because I think Ryan Jensen will go a little bit too far sometimes. But um, there were times where a, a defender was on the floor and he was just going to, you know, do the people's elbow right on that guy just to make sure, you know, I'm, I'm going to get on his nerves. I'm going to get under this guy's skin. And, you know, that's something that coaches and teammates, they're going to adore him for. And, and the fans, too, because fans love that kind of stuff when they see uh, nasty offensive linemen and, and you know, Guys who, who will, you know, stick up for their teammates and, and, you know, lay it all out on the line for them. And, you know, he's a guy, another guy that's really smart on and off the field. He was a two-time academic All-American as well. So, you know, we see these common themes with all of these players where they're high character guys, very smart guys and, and you know, versatile, too. Because when you look at the linebackers we're talking about, versatile guys. You look at Phillips, we're talking about a versatile guy who might be able to line up at guard or at tackle. Now with Bredesen, we're talking about a guy who may be playing guard, may be playing center. So it, it, there's a common theme where they just want versatile, smart, and, you know, guys that have that those leadership traits. Yeah, you hear about it all the time from people around the league who talk about the Ravens, uh, you know, front office and. Uh, how they, you know, who, what they look for in not only the draft, but even in free agency when they acquire players, you know, smart, physical and tough. You know, it's a common thing. You hear that all the time. And people who've never even worked for the organization, they ID those things. Oh, yeah. The, the, these are the things that they look for. Smart, physical and tough players. It's, mm-hmm. That's those are Ravens. Those um, are Ravens guys. Those are Ravens guys, man. That's who they look for. Um, so they only had the one the one pick in the fourth round. So now they're into the fifth round. Here's another common theme in this draft. A lot of double ups. Yeah, we've had to double up at inside linebacker. We've had to double up at offensive line, you know, slightly different positions, but on the offensive line. And now here we are again at defensive tackle. Uh, they took Justin Matabike earlier. Now they take Broderick Washington, defensive tackle for Texas Tech. And I think you're up this time, Chris. Uh, he really caught my eye at the senior bowl. I'll be honest. I, I don't think that I really. Uh, was aware of him during the process until the senior bowl and maybe even late in the senior bowl because it was after the actual, uh, you know, week in the game. And Jim Nagy put out the all 22 
uh, camera of the game, the all 22 camera angle of the game. And I watched that and I'm looking at this guy and I forget what his number was in the Super Bowl. I mean, in the senior Bowl, I think it was 97. He wore 96 at Texas Tech. And I kept seeing this 97 flash. I'm like, who is this dude? So you look him up and then, you know, you'd see if you could find a game or two. And I watch him in the games and I'm like, here we are again. Same thing we've been saying. Versatile, explosive, powerful dude. Um, what do you think about Roderick Washington? Um, I, so when the, the pick was announced, I had no clue who he was. I'm completely honest. I was like, I don't know who this guy is. So when I sat down and watched him, of course, the first thing I like to do when I watch a play, I like to look up their background a little bit. And, of course, this guy was a two-time team captain for Texas uh, Texas, uh, uh, Texas Tech. Drink. Because they, they, that's another thing, that they just wanted to take everyone that was from Texas, too. Damn. So, uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, so something that I found that was interesting was um, he was labeled as an edge player. But I'm looking at his body size, and he's 6'2", 305, and I'm like, that does not sound like an edge player to me. So I looked at the numbers, and he had 551 snaps that were lined up either right above the tackle or outside of the tackle. He only played 164 snaps inside. Now, to me, Texas, Texas Tech, they did him a disservice by lining him up there because I feel like if he lined up more inside, he'd be able to utilize his athleticism a little bit more than going up against, you know, uh, these athletic tackles. But he was a guy that had, you know, good mobility, good athleticism for his size. He had good active hands. The um, the only thing was he was just a little bit, uh, from what I saw, uh, he liked a little bit of, you know, of an anchor when it came to, you know, when teams were running at him. But um, as far as uh, him as a player, I think he he has you know, all the talent in the world to develop into a way better player than he was at Texas Tech just because of how they used him. Um, and, you know, the Ravens, they're definitely going to kick him inside. He's not going to be playing out there, you know, lining up over tackles. So I, I think he, it's a, a really good pick. And, and I think it's it's a, a shocking pick. It was a little bit of a shocking pick, mostly because, like you said, they doubled up at the position. And it was a player a lot of people weren't really familiar with at the time. But um, I think as time goes on, this will, we'll look back at this and, and we'll say, OK, that was one of those guys where nobody really knew who he was and he turned into something good. Yeah, I'm telling you, I, I, I know I got on him really late. And when I, you know, saw him play in the senior bowl and, and it was the game and I, I know that the, the practices are more important during that week, but. He flashed in the game. I went back and watched. I watched him against Texas, so I got the two-for-one. I got to watch DuVernay on offense and him on defense, and I saw exactly what you just described. I didn't know those numbers, but he played a five technique, which is outside shade on on the tackle, for most of that game. They you know, kicked him inside and let him have a couple of snaps inside, but not many. And he really was a C-gab defender. He was an edge defender. He would, you know, in the run game, he was setting the edge. And uh, actually did it really well, um, you know, not not just because he's got a bigger uh, a big body, but just in terms of movement, you know, being able to to you know uh, move his feet outside, get his hips outside, extend. Uh, he played really long. That was something I noticed. Yeah, that's uh, something all too. The snaps. Yeah, yeah, I, w- I was because I'm like, wow, he must have long arms, but he doesn't have long he arms. Doesn't. He just he uses them really well though, <laughs> exactly. every single time. Like he, his arms were always like. 
they, you would almost never see guys get into his chest, and he uses it. Nope. He used his length really well. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what I thought because I'm seeing him do it, and I go to look it up too because I'm like, oh, this guy must have like 35 inch arm, <laughs> and no, he does. <laughs> it's like really average arm length, uh, and and I was like, well, man, he just he's just so consistent with it in terms of doing it on every snap and the timing of it, and it's something that you hear. I mean, this is getting like super uh, D-line nerdy here, but they always, you know, D-line coaches will always talk about wanting guys to extend. And not only does that length create space and keeps guys off your body, they want you to engage those bigger muscles in your back instead of just your arms. You'll see guys who, uh, you know, strike and they don't fully extend and they're 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 using their arm muscles, which are strong muscles, but not nearly as strong as the muscles in your back. It's just a much larger, more powerful muscle group. So if you can get those engaged now you really when not only are you creating space with the with the length and the extension, you're striking with power. You know, when you hit a guy and you see that sometimes when he hits guys, there's a little bit of a jolt there uh, when he hits guys. So he definitely offers um, offers some some good, consistent uh, technique, at least with that specific technique um, already. Kerry, what, what about you? What did you think about the the uh, the Roderick Washington pick? Yeah, this one was uh, it was surprising for me too. Um, one because I didn't know who the hell he was, and then secondly, um, they had already taken a defensive lineman, you know, pretty early, and I was used to them um, the last couple years going kind of light on the defensive line as far as numbers. So for them to you know draft two guys that you know to add to their group, it was kind of su- surprising in a sense. But then when you think about the makeup of the of the roster and the veterans they have, you know, it made more sense. So, you know, digging into um, um, Broderick Washington as a prospect, I saw some of the same things that uh, you guys um, saw, but I, I definitely agree. Like he played more of a five technique um, at Texas Tech, but I definitely think he's more, he's going to move more inside um, as a pro. I see him as a guy that's going to be, um, you know, a, uh, three tech slash kind of undersized backup one tech. Like I think he's strong enough. Like I, he's, he's a really, really strong guy. Um, I think he's a battler. Um, I think Mike, you had a good comp with him of uh, D'Angelo Tyson. And I thought that was interesting. Like he, he, he reminds me of a player of that ilk, a, a guy that they can develop and he can just come in and just eat up some snaps for you. And, and, you know, you know, late round, I have to pay him that much. But, you know, he's a guy that can kind of give you some, um, you know, quality snaps. Um, I think like all college defensive linemen, he's got to work on his leverage some. He needs to use his hand better at times. But that's every college D lineman, you know, coming into the NFL. And I think he's in a good spot to kind of get the development he needs on those two fronts. I mean, with the Ravens, you can go back to um, – you know, uh, Clarence Brooks, rest in peace. You know, they've always had defensive line coaches in place that help guys with that leverage and with uh, using their hands. So, um, you know, again, he's just got that mentality, man. I just saw a battler on the field. This guy is going to, you know, he's going to keep coming. And I think the fact that he played that five technique and like you said, set the edge, looked longer than um, what he actually was, showed up well. I think all that bodes well for him 
as a pro. So, you know, I, I think he has a chance of, you know, uh, sticking as a, a depth piece for this team. You know, what's also interesting about about him is that so um, like I said, I, I'd only heard of his name through the senior bowl. And if it wasn't for that, I probably wouldn't have heard of him either. And so none of us were really all that familiar with him. But none of us doubted that he was a real person, unlike Arlington Hambright, <laughs> who you guys swore was not a real person. And then you saw him get selected. <laughs> I think he got or maybe he was a UDFA. I don't remember. But you saw him uh, show up somewhere in the draft. I said, look, I told you guys, this is a real person. Listen, we saw Mike, him selected, but I just, didn't see any clips yeah. of him playing. <laughs> exactly. Yep. They didn't. They didn't. Was he? Was he drafted? If he was drafted, oh, and if he, if he was late round, they didn't go to the house. They, they weren't going to the house. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. All right. Well, you know, TBD, TBD on Arlington Hangway, <laughs> but I'm sticking to my story that he is an actual real life person, uh, <laughs> despite uh, a very interesting name. Uh, so only again, only only one pick there in that round in the fifth round, sort of like the fourth round. Uh, can be a theme for the next two rounds, one pick in the sixth, one pick in the seventh. But uh, with this sixth round pick, uh, a name that people might be a little bit familiar with, uh, not that he was at like a huge school, he was at SMU, but wide receiver, another double dip, James Prochet. And I had to look that up to make sure I got the pronunciation right because I think I was calling him Proche, but it's Prochet. Uh, and a guy, uh, and, and I'll start out with you this time, Kerry, a guy in, in some respects, some similar qualities to Devin DuBernay in terms of catching everything. They're different from a speed perspective. Uh, you know, Crochet uh, is, is, is not necessarily a burner like DuBernay, but both guys caught over 100 balls this year. And I think had I, I think DuBernay had three drops. I don't remember how many Crochet had, but it was a very, very low number as well. So guy, two guys with, with, with really solid hands. Uh, and and when I was watching Prochet, uh, the only thing I could think of, it's not like I was trying to give him a nickname. I don't I do not do that when I watch guys, but I just kept thinking slot machine. I don't know why. Slot machine just kept coming up when I watched him play. Uh, so, so, Kerry, let me, let me get your thoughts on, on James Prochet. Yeah, this was an interesting pick, man. Um, for me, he was he's kind of a tweener. Um, he's not particularly quick or, or fluid laterally um, that, you know, that those are skills that you would see with a slot player and he's not necessarily big or vertically explosive enough to make you think that he's some kind of seamless fit as an outside receiver either. But this dude catches absolutely everything and has like really impressive body control at the catch point. Um, shout out to a uh, Denard friend of the show. He had a great comp for Prochet of Brandon Lloyd. I mm-hmm. thought that was a really good comp. I thought that was like spot on. Um, I think Lloyd probably had a little bit bigger of a catch radius and he grew to be a pretty good route runner. Um, I think Prochet um, has the kind of traits to be able to kind of follow that same path. Um, I like this. I would like to see him play like a little bit more forcefully as a player. I think he's going to have to do that. Um there's some things technically and, um, you know, as a route runner that, you know, he can get better at. But I think just athletically, there's going to be a limitation on just how much separation he's going to be able to create, I think. But he's a strong guy. I mean, 20 reps at the combine, it, it you know, is a pretty good number. Um, I, I would like to see him kind of, um, you know, be a little bit more forceful um, as a player. Um, 
I, I think that would really help him. Um, if he can do that and kind of, you know, hit on some of those nuances, um, you know, at the position as far as route running, I think that'll make up for his lack of kind of, um, you know, quicks. And I think this dude has a really, really good chance. I mean, just his ability to catch the ball is going to put him in advantageous positions anyway. Just th- that that's going to get him on the field. Like I don't know how much and how soon, but at some point, a dude that catches the ball the way he does um, is going to be able to, to get himself on the field. And when he does, he's going to be able to build trust with Lamar, um, you know, off of that alone. But as far as his overall ceiling as a player, uh, you know, if he can continue to to grow as a route runner and, like I said, it just impose himself physically a little bit more, uh, especially against smaller slot guys. If he's in the slot, I think that's going to be big for him. And then um, him as a returner, just being a, um, a guy that they can trust um, as a punt returner is huge. And, you know, it could also save the Ravens a roster spot, too, you know. Um, you know, looking at it, if they don't want to hold on to DeAnthony Thomas or if they don't want to, you know, bring in another guy, um, you know, they have Prochet there that can, um, you know, they can trust that can go back there and, um, you know, not put the ball on the ground. So, you know, I, I thought this at, at this juncture, it was a real, real, um, you know, quality pick. And, you know, we joked about it before going into this draft. All we heard was, you know, this is a deep draft. You can get a, a starter in the fourth round. You can get a starter in the fifth round. And then the minute that the Ravens leave the second round without a receiver, everybody is like flipping out. Like, where's the receiver? Where's the receiver? <laughs> it's like, okay, well, let, let's get through these rounds first and let's see who they come up with before we just like, you know, just absolutely lose it. So, yeah, I, I thought Prochet was a good pick. Yeah, I uh... – I was watching him, and I think I watched him against TCU. And, you know, he's running out of the slot. And, guys, receivers in college see a lot of off coverage anyway, you know, wherever they line up. They just don't play as much press in college as they do in the NFL. And, obviously, you're going to see even more of that uh, in college. So he was off the ball a lot, off coverage a lot. So he's, he's, you know, he's being able to get into space and, and get open. And, you know, whenever guys were around him, I said, well, you know, this guy doesn't look super athletic to me, but, you know, he's getting the job done. I was like, well, let me go look him up, look up his measurables. And it's 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 an it's a no bueno situation when you look at the uh, the athletic testing <laughs> for him. <laughs> and uh, it kind of reminded me, though, of Willie Sneed. If you go back and you look up Willie Sneed, also a guy who did not test very well. Now, now, granted, Willie Sneed had 33 inch arms and you can see that. When Willie Sneed plays, he, he's in a lot of contested catch situations, but he has that link to really extend away from his body, pluck the ball out of the air. And it's hard for people to get the ball away from him, even though they're close to him. Right. You would think they're in tight coverage. He's not really creating a ton of separation because he's not a super athlete. They should be able to get in there and knock the ball out. But he's got that length to kind of extend and, and protect the ball away from his body. Now, now Prochet's got 29 inch arms. Probably explains why he he performed well on the bench. We know the short arm guys that like throw up that weight, um, but you know maybe not going to be able to extend and, and use that element uh, of the game. But uh, let me get your thoughts. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to be negative on the guy because you know that's that's not really my style. I mean, I definitely see um, you know some of the things that he does and does well and how he can win. But I I was I was surprised and I looked that up and I, and and only because when I was watching him I was like 
well, yeah, he's not overly athletic, but this guy's productive and he finds a way to get open and, and catch the ball. And I looked at the testing and I was like, you know what? Maybe he's just one of those guys who's just a football player. You know what I mean? Don't mm-hmm. don't look at the testing numbers because if you see that, you're going to say, eh, I don't really see an NFL athlete here. But if you watch him on the field, Chris, you see a guy who's productive. Yeah, I agree. And and it's funny that you bring up uh, Willie Sneed because uh, this is going to be I mean, he's coming into uh, the last year of his contract this year. And I feel like Prochet, he can be one of those guys while he can contribute in 2020 as a, a, you know, punt returner and, you know, have because I mean, we saw them this year pretty much use four wide receivers, you know, pretty much just rotate those guys in and out with Seth Roberts, uh, Boykin, Snead, and and Hollywood. So I think we'll we probably see a similar rotation like that. And he'll probably get, you know, in on some of those and, you know, show what he can do. But I think he might be a guy that could possibly be groomed to to fit into that Willie Snead role. Because like you guys said, he's a guy that worked primarily out of the slot. Uh, he wasn't a guy that you really wanted on the line, uh, you know, to face any press coverage or anything like that, to where DBs could get their hands on him. And uh, he was a guy that, that won a lot of contested catches, like you guys said, too. And, uh, of course, you know, like with all these other picks, he was a team captain as well. So uh, that just, like we said, it just continues that theme. And this is another guy that he's he, he's not the, the diva wide receiver. So they're showing what kind of guys they want to bring in here. They want to bring these tough guys that, you know, Contact does not bother them at all. They they want guys that are rugged. They want guys that can make these tough catches in, in tight spaces. So I, I I like the the attitude that they're bringing. I like the kind of DNA that they're looking for with these wide receivers. Now, like like we you know you alluded to Mike, maybe this is the you know the guy that's going to take over for Willie Sneed since they're because they they are similar. When you look at their measurables, they are similar besides the the arm length. So, but I do like him in that role if they do decide to move on from Willie Snead. But I mean, he's a he's a solid, solid wide receiver. You know, a guy that's not going to drop the ball, dependable, and uh, hopefully a guy that they can you know find some snaps for this season too, to, so he can show what he can do. Yeah, when you get to these later round picks, sixth round, and, and we're going to talk about their seventh round pick um, up next here. When you get to these later round picks and they're guys who had a lot of production in college, you know, maybe, maybe the athletic measurables aren't, aren't as high as some of the earlier round guys, but they just found a way to produce. I always call these uh-oh picks and not uh-oh from the standpoint of, you know, uh-oh, it's a bad pick or we made a mistake. Uh, and I'm going to use this as my transition into Geno Stone, their seventh round pick. Uh-oh, in that if you're one of the guys at that position down the depth chart, it's an uh-oh situation for you because this guy may come in and take your job uh, if you're not <laughs> careful. Uh, it reminds me a lot with Geno Stone, the safety out of Iowa, reminds me a lot of Chuck Clark. Now, Chuck Clark was a sixth round pick. But he was the Ravens' last pick of that draft that year that he came out. They didn't have a seventh-round pick um, of that year. I think it was in 2019. No, no, no. 
2017, excuse me. That's right. He just played last year. 2017. Let me just make sure that's right. I think so. Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. That was it. So he was their last pick of that draft. And, you know, he worked his way up from a special teams player to, you know, kind of a role player on the defense to getting into the starting lineup when Tony Jefferson got hurt. And now he just got a contract extension. So, you know, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen for Geno Stone. I mean, this guy hasn't hasn't played, hasn't, hasn't practiced in the NFL yet, let alone played an NFL game. But you look at these picks and you look at these guys, uh, and I think I'm starting with you on this one, Chris, with Geno Stone. These guys that were just solid, productive, you know, guys in 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 uh, in, in good conferences at, at, at Division One programs. If you're on the back end of the roster right now, you just you just want to be watching out for guys like this. Yeah, let me just get this out the way. Team captain, okay, another mm, one. Done. That's just the last one. Get Drop. that out the way. <laughs> that, that isn't the last one because we still got the UDF. Oh, no, that's just for the drafted guys. You're right. <laughs> um, so team captain, but um, what's interesting about this guy is he has this underdog mentality in his in his head because he was a guy that for whatever reason was. Uh, really under-recruited coming out of high school, and he wanted to go to his home state uh, school with, in Penn State, and they didn't offer him. And the way he got back at them was this year, he had a pick six against them. Mm-hmm. And you could tell that that meant a lot to him. Like, he was he was in the... Because I've seen him on the field. Like, you'll see him, and he'll go about his business. You know, he'll pump pump his chest out. But the way that all the guys rallied around him when he got that pick six, pick six and was in the end zone, you could tell that really meant a lot to him and his teammates around him. They knew how, how important that was to him. And, you know, going in the seventh round, I mean, nobody, when you dream about getting drafted, you know, guys always want to be the first round pick. He's the seventh round pick. That's going to stick with him for his whole career. He's like, all right, these guys doubted me coming out of high school. These guys doubted me coming out of college. And I'm sure they're going to doubt me while I'm in the, in the NFL, too. So I'm coming in here, like Mike said, and I'm going to take somebody's job. Yeah. And he's a guy that has special teams experience. He's a guy that has experience lining up deep safety inside the box and even has some, some snaps at the, the nickel. So he's a guy that can do it all. And that's the name of the game for this defense. The more you can do, the more you can contribute, you'll find a way to get on this on this uh this this team the way Chuck Clark did and that's the path that, that's funny that you bring that up Mike because that's the path that you could see for this this kid Geno Stone is where you know he'll start off as you know uh, a special teams guy kind of meander his way weasel his way into the defense get a couple snaps here a couple snaps there and then all of a sudden he's a green dot guy getting an extension mm. so I mean hopefully that's the you know, the, the career path that he's on because he seems like a great guy, great kid. And uh, hopefully, you know, they can maximize this value with a, a seven round pick with a, a guy like Geno Stone, who I think he was in PFF's top five safeties, if I'm not mistaken. And they got him in the seventh round. I mean, you could you could say what you want about PFF, but, you know, for a reputable source like that to have him rank that high, that means they saw something with him. Yeah, 
And I'm just telling you, uh, Carrie, I'm, I'm going to get your thoughts on him in just a sec. But I'm just telling you, all because I'm looking at the death chart right now at safety. If you're Jordan Richards, mm. you're Terrell Bonds. Mm. I, I hate to even say the name because I we were talking earlier and I really <laughs> like this guy as a player. If you're Deshaun Elliott, <laughs> who hasn't better, stayed healthy, that's exactly where I'm going. You better find a way to stay on the field. Because if you miss time due to injury, which is I'm not blaming the player at all. Injuries are a part of the game and, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but it's the reality and they happen. And I'm not I'm not going to blame a guy for suffering an injury. But if you suffer an injury with this kid, you know, stone around, you might not your, your roster spot may not be secure. So I'm just saying if you're those guys, those guys at the safety position kind of down the depth chart a little bit. Um, better just watch out. Kerry, let me get your thoughts on Geno Stone. Yeah, man, I'm right there with you, man. He's one of them guys. Uh, you you better bring your lunch with you to work. Uh, don't don't worry about, you know, going out, uh, you know, trying to hit fast food drive through or something like that. While you doing that, he's going to be right there taking your snaps. So uh, when you watch him, man, he's just a prime example of how instincts and preparation allow you to play faster. Um, you know, he's a four six guy, you know, the, the athletic measurables aren't, aren't there, but when you watch him on tape, this dude is a missile, an absolute missile. And, you know, you may look at the measurables and you may think, you know, strictly in, in the box safety. Nah, this guy's a legitimate, uh, you know, deep safety in NFL. Like he has that, um, level of ball skills, that level of instincts, um, and that level of range, but then he also has the the physical physicality that he can chip in, you know, closer to the line and play in the box. Um, you know, we don't really do, um, you know, hot takes or anything like that. And I don't know if this is necessarily a hot take, but for me, he's the early favorite to be that second uh, deep safety in the, in a dime this year, as well as be a core special teamer. And I mean, for a seventh round selection, like you couldn't have drawn up a better seventh round selection than this one, because even if he doesn't reach those levels that I was talking about, as far as, you know, being that guy in the dime, he's definitely going to be a core special teamer. And if you can get a core special teamer in the seventh round to stick and especially, you know, stick on, you know, three, four, three, four years in that, then, you know, that's a win in my book. Yeah, man, I agree. And I, I, I just think and we we all kind of touched on it. I just think when you have that combination of um, the things that he showed on the field at Iowa, just in terms of play speed, forget about the measurable speed, forget about the time speed, just in terms of play speed and recognition, you know, of of, of plays, run pass, of, of, of route concepts and always being around the ball, always being in the right position to make a play with uh, having that chip on your shoulder because you feel like you've been disrespected or slighted, that is a dangerous combination for guys who are battling for a roster spot, who who are on the roster and trying to hold and and, and you know stick. Uh, this guy is coming. I'm just saying, just just watch out because <laughs> he is coming. Um, so before we get into the undrafted free agents and, and it's been reported that the Ravens signed 22 of them. So uh, we're not going to talk about all 22, but I think we, we, we got a couple that we probably want to hit on. But before we do that, uh, Ravens had a pretty big signing 
Uh, and I kind of just want to throw it in here because I, I don't want to I don't want it to get uh, get bumped down too far. Um, DJ Fluker, who most recently of the Seattle Seahawks uh, is play guard, uh, was a first round pick. I mean, so there's there's some pedigree there. If you go back uh, to to his days in San Diego, he coming out of Alabama. He was a first round pick, spent his first three seasons uh, in San Diego, coached by uh, Joe Delisandris. So you get a little reunion there with the Ravens. Uh, obviously, uh, coming out of college, came out of Alabama, won a national championship with, with Mark Ingram. So you get another connection there. Um, but, you know, kind of had a little bit of a shaky start to his career, even with that first round pedigree. Things probably didn't go quite as well as he would have liked in San Diego spent a year with the Giants that, that really didn't quite go so well. But then I think had a little bit of a, re, a revival, a little bit of a resurgence in his career the last two years um, with Seattle. And so, you know, I think there's some things that people point to in terms of, um, you know, physical attributes, you know, maybe not not as strong in pass pro as he is in the run game, which obviously, you know, being strong in the run game is a really good fit here. Uh, with the Ravens. But one thing that you read about him, even even with, you know, some of those other stops and, and maybe some reports that it didn't quite go as well in some of those places, nobody ever questioned his mentality and his intensity. That's one thing that I've read that he's consistently they said, look, this guy brings that to the offensive line meeting room. He's an intense, um, you know, menacing almost kind of guy in terms of what he wants to do out there on the field to other people. Uh, and, and so you love to hear that, but he's also veteran. And so, you know, we just talked about some, some young offensive linemen that they took in the draft. And now you bring in a veteran guy who's, you know, established, been in the league, uh, played with a number of teams and, and in a number of situations. So um, I start with you, Kerry, on this one. What do you think about the DJ Fluker sign? Again, it's reported. It's pending a physical I feel like that was almost just like something you said back in the day. You never had to really worry about it too much, but obviously we, we saw what happened with the Michael Brockers deal. So we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully that, that we don't have a repeat of that. So I, let me just put that caveat in there. But Kerry, what, what do you think about the DJ Fluker signing? Yeah, just adding another option, uh, adding a veteran option at that, um, which I think is the the biggest takeaway from this. I mean, you look at what they're bringing back um, and then what they added in the draft. I, mean, I think they have some, uh, you know, solid uh, group of capable guys, but you want to have that insurance, you know, that insurance, you never, you, you don't need it until you need it. And so to have a guy that um, has done it before um, helps a guy that, that schematically fits um, what the Ravens like to do, uh, is, you know, very helpful. I mean, uh, Fluker, um, you know, uh, uh, obviously he's going to have his um, issues against, um, you know, speed and may have his issues and pass protection. But um, this is not just a big guy that's, um, you know, able to, you know, play a position. This is a big guy that, like, he's looking to impose his will. Like, he's looking to impose his will on the guy in front of him in the running game. Um, and, you know, maybe he's not a guy that you're pulling or, you know, doing a whole lot of that with. But um, if you line up, line him up at guard and run power, he's going to generate some movement for you. Um, so to have a guy like that that you've seen uh, do it before uh, on the NFL level, I, I think is, is, is big. So, you know, the, for them to be able to get him 
you know, this late in the process, um, I think is a, you know, real, real quality ad. Yeah, I think uh, this was something that even with the influx of youth through the draft, even if you look at the guys who were on the roster right now, which, you know, Marshall Yonder retiring, they, they, that that's an open spot. I mean, they're, they're, they they haven't, you know, there, there's no uh, coordination. There's no appointment uh, <laughs> to who's going to take that spot. There was going to be a competition. And, you know, guys like Ben Powers, um, you know, Bradley Bozeman, uh, Patrick McCarry, you know, you had a bunch of names in there. And then you had the guys they drafted and, you know, you had a bunch of young guys who were going to be competing. But I know, Chris, as I as I, I hit you on this, I know you mentioned that you were going to sleep a little bit better knowing that they had a veteran guy to add to that group. Because there's nothing wrong with young guys and having competition. I mean, the, the, the league, you know, young young players are the lifeblood of the league. But we, we know just from last season and a different position, the inside linebacker position, but we saw firsthand rolling with young guys and when it doesn't work out. And when you don't have veterans on the roster, what you have to do. So, uh, Chris, how do you feel about the DJ Fluker side? I like it. And then, um, like you said, uh, just jumping on the whole veteran theme, you know, with this whole COVID situation, we don't know how much time these rookies are going to get, you know, to, to practice and, and learn these systems and, and gel with one another. And bringing in a guy, a veteran like like Fluker, it could be beneficial for them because he's a guy, he's been in multiple systems. Uh, he's, you know, he, he has familiarity with this coaching staff. So it, it's, it would be somewhat of a seamless transition rather than, you know, having to stick a, uh, a rookie in there, you know, day one, who's barely had practice time or whatever it'll be. You know, we're, we don't know what the practice situation will be like from now or and if there'll be any, you know, training camps, but uh, for right now, I feel like they're doing the best that they can to, you know, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst just in case they have to. And a quote that I saw from Fluker, because he just got released from this, from Seattle and right away, his agent contacted the Ravens. And this is the quote from Fluker. The Ravens fit my style of play and the way that I play physically and running the, the ball, things like that. And that's what I want to be a part of. So this is a guy that wants to be in this system. He wants to play for the Ravens. This is not a guy that's just like, all right, I'm looking for a payday somewhere. Let me go here. No, he wanted to be a part of this. And, and you know, it obviously the Ravens, they didn't even hesitate because I don't even think it's been 48 hours since he was released. And they jumped on him and snatched him right up. So I think it's, it's a great fit. And uh, it's a veteran presence that I think that inside needs, especially if Skura isn't back. Because uh, it's you have men powers one year, Patrick McCarry one year, Bozeman's coming into his third year, I believe it is, and then they have the two rookies that they just drafted. So that's an incredibly young interior of the, the line that they have. So I think injecting some veteran leadership and a guy that has Fluker's reputation across the league as a no-nonsense, nasty, you know, I'm going to knock that other team out. I, I think that's really important for them to have, too. Yeah, you, you, you want that that tone setter um, in that um, offensive line room. And we know that Marshall Yonda was that guy when he was here during his mm-hmm. career. 
he was the the tone setter. He was the guy who um, really almost didn't even have to say a whole lot. He even talked about, you know, becoming more vocal the last couple of years, especially after, you know, some of the established, you know, vocal leaders like going back to Ray and Ed and then when Sizzle left. You know, he said those were the guys who were kind of the more vocal guys. And he kind of just led by example, uh, but then became a little more vocal his last couple of years here. But, you know, he just showed it with his play. Just, you know, a tough. Uh, this is, as I heard Chris Long say on his podcast, because he talked about playing Yonda, a tough football playing machine from the cornfields of Iowa. <laughs> and, and, and he would he would he would talk about how. Yonda would, um, you know, on a play, you know, he'd block you and he'd keep blocking you and the whistle would blow and he'd keep blocking, he'd keep blocking you. And maybe he'd try to drive you into the turf a little bit or, you know, maybe if um, the play was away from him and you're a defensive player and you're just standing around the pile and he'd come and clean you up around the pile and then just get up. And he said, and he would look at you and it would almost be like, look, uh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this all game long and I'm going to do this every play. And it's not a discussion. I'm not here to argue with you about this. He said, you know, some guys would get in the chirping back and forth. They pancake you or they come they come clean you off the pile and they want to chirp and say, and he said, Marshall, there was no chirping. It was just like, look, there's not even a discussion to be had here. I'm doing this every play all game <laughs> long. And that's just how it's going to be. And he just walked back to the huddle. And Chris Long was just like, well, I get that. That's just how it's going to be. <laughs> and so, you know, that tone, you know, he was a guy that established that tone. And I don't I don't know DJ Fluger. You know, I'm just reading stuff and we're all learning about him. But from what is reported, he's a guy that that sets that kind of tone in in the offensive line room. And so when you lose a guy like Marshall who did that, it does create a vacuum. I mean, we've seen it here at other position groups where they've lost leadership you know, tone setting leadership at other position groups. And there is a vacuum that gets created and you see the impact. Um, so I think they 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 were aware of that. And of course, they didn't know that he was going to be released. But the Ravens just seem to always be ready. They just seem to always be prepared when a key guy, you know, who could really fit them gets released. Uh, they just pounce on it. Because like you said, that just happened, uh, I think, Thursday and they signed him Sunday. Yeah. So. You know, this thing happened really quick. Um, so we just wanted to throw that in there because that's 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 an important thing, I think, uh, in terms of having that veteran presence, uh, veteran presence uh, in that offensive line room. Because, man, I had to think about it. Who's the oldest guy in there now? Is it Ronnie? Yes, Ronnie's <laughs> by, by a lot, too. <laughs> he's the vet in that room now, and he's a young guy. Still on his first, you know, his rookie contract. Not for much longer, though, but uh, <laughs> getting ready to back up the truck for Ronnie. Um, but anyway, now let's uh, let's let's tackle some of these UDFAs. I think we all kind of took a guy or two um, who we wanted to to talk about. And I guess I'm, I'm, I, I try to keep track, as you know, I, I try to switch back and forth as we run through topics. And I don't remember who was last, but um I'm going to go, Carrie. <laughs> I'm going to start with you, Carrie. Uh, any of this, uh, any player or two in this vast UDFA group uh, that you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, I'm going to start off with uh, the running back uh, BYU. Um, I, I believe it's um, pronounced Tyson, Tyson Williams. 
Um, he was a guy that I tweeted out a couple of days ago when the when it was reported that the Ravens were signing them, uh, that he was a guy that Matt Wallman was big on. Um, but I hadn't gotten the chance to watch him um, until maybe yesterday or day before yesterday. And I, I like what I saw. I thought he was a pretty good looking uh, all around back. Um, I saw some real good reps in uh, pass protection. Uh, I think that's kind of what I saw first before anything uh, was that, you know, he had some good sound reps as a pass protector. Uh, I thought his hands looked natural. Um as as far as uh, running the football, uh, they they ran a lot of RPO um, there at BYU, uh, so um, he has some experience there. Um, so he, comfortable there at the mesh point and then doing some of those things. So I think um, you know with the kind of system the Ravens won, that's always a plus. A, a guy that's comfortable doing that, um, and you know uh, again as as far as a runner, I, he was a pretty patient runner from what I saw. Um, big guy, six foot two twenty. Um, he can lower his shoulder and uh, really generate some um, power. But he's a guy that um, has some burst for a guy his size. I, you know, I saw him um, get outside a couple times and, um, you know, uh, beat guys to the corner, um, you know, a few times. So that that was definitely good to see. Um, he, he's a guy that I, I like his chances of, you know, making the practice squad in year one and then maybe adding at some solid depth down the line and, you know, Maybe he can follow the, uh, um, kind of those the same path that Gus um, Edwards um, follow. You know, he's a he's a guy kind of in that that mold to me. Um, I don't think he's necessarily as powerful as Gus is as a player, um, but he, he kind of can fit that mold to me. But also gives you uh, kind of some comfort in the pass game. Like I don't think he's going to stand out in the pass game necessarily. But I don't think he's a zero in the past game either. So um, he was a, a good looking guy. Some some guy I think they can kind of put in the pipeline and, you know, maybe get something out of in uh, in future years. And he's he's got that that um, that SEC pedigree. Don't don't let BYU fool you. He, he apparently transferred from South Carolina. So, yeah, uh, that's right. You know, he's, he's got that SEC pedigree and listed as six foot, 220 pounds. You know, this is, it's a big back. Um, so, yeah, it, it, this this team, as we know, uh, we've we talked about it throughout this show. They're going to run the ball. <laughs> so there are going to be opportunities for running backs um, just because as the season goes on, you never know what's going to happen with injury. Uh, we saw with Mark Ingram, you know, late at the end of the last season. Uh, and so, you know, if, if you can have a bunch of quality running backs and people would say, what are you talking about? They just drafted J.K. Dobbins. Now you're talking about another running back. You just don't know. You know, as the season goes on, you just don't know. And so if you get guys who show that they can do it, um, you know, and, and like Chris said, whether we're going to have training camp preseason, we don't know. But if you get guys who, who get an opportunity and show you that they can perform, you know, these are guys who you may find a way to keep around on the practice squads. I think even with the new CBA, did they expand the practice squads, too? I think they I did. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe so. I can't remember the exact number, but I want to say they bumped it up by maybe two, at least two players, I believe. Yeah. So, you know, maybe maybe there's there's going to be a spot on there for, um, you know, another guy like this. So a guy to definitely keep um, your eye on. Uh, Chris. Did you have a, UA, a UDFA guy or two that you want to talk about? Yeah, I have um, I have a couple here. Um, I'm going to go through them real quick. Uh, so the first one is uh, Tyler Huntley, uh, who's a QB at uh, Utah. 
another team captain, of course. And uh, he was a good he was a good athlete uh, at the QB position. Uh, Florida guy. Uh, he's best friends with uh, Zach Moss. Um, he's a guy that I think he can contend for that number three QB spot. Uh, maybe you know battling it out with Trace McSorley. But um, I think there are some tools there, and the flashy thing that you see right away is his athletic ability. But he isn't a guy that he's just an athlete, like, say, uh, a Derek King, for example, uh, who, who's more known as a runner. He's a guy that he'll stand in the pocket, he'll scan the field, and if nothing is available, then he'll show off those athletic, athletic traits that he has. Uh, the biggest thing with him is uh, he can get a little bit flustered in the pocket and make some poor decisions at times. But um, I think there's there's a lot there to, to work with. And especially in a system like this that can utilize his, his athleticism, I think he's a guy to watch out for. And another guy that I wanted to talk about was uh, the center that they got from Mizzou, uh, Tristan Colon Castillo. Uh, he's a guy that he has similar dimensions to Matt Skur when he was coming out. Uh, he's 6'3", 313 pounds, and... Uh, on the field, he he's kind of looks like Skur in a way, uh, you know, uh, an athletic guy that has good movement skills. Uh, he's he's a little bit uh, he he's not a guy that'll overpower anyone or maul some somebody, but he's a guy that's known as a you know a cerebral player, known you know to call out all the protections and of course, the theme of the day, team captain. He was team a team captain. captain. And um, he was a guy that was an all-SEC freshman of the year um, coming uh, after his uh, freshman season. So I think that's a guy to look out for. And just one other guy that I want to hit on real quick, Nigel Warrior. He's a guy who was more in the box, who's sort of in the same mold as uh, Anthony Levine, who could be that, that dimebacker kind of guy. So I think he's a guy to look out for, too. Also, uh, Dale Carter's son as well. Yeah, that was that was uh, a nugget I just read about before we started recording. Dale Carter, who who played his final season in the NFL with the Ravens, uh, I want to say it was back in 2005. So you got that connection there. Um, I'm going to talk about two guys, and both of these guys, I guess, would be considered edge rushers, and that was something that uh, a position that I know there was some discussion about after the draft that oh they didn't address edge rusher position and I'm not saying they they're addressing it with these guys but um you know there's going to be some opportunity for these guys because they didn't draft uh you know players at that specific edge rush position now Kerry talked about you know they got some some guys in their inside linebackers who could maybe give you uh you know some 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 snaps in in similar roles not saying they're going to line up and be edge rushers but um that's not a new thing actually too by the way I mean I you know I talked about charting the Ravens third down defense they'll line an inside linebacker they used to do it with peanut all the time they'd put him and rush peanut off the edge so it's not it's not like a new thing that they haven't done before but anyway these two guys uh let me start with James Madison's uh John Daka um haven't had a chance to watch him yet I've got a game um that I, I I think I'll be able to get a good look at him. But uh, we talked about a guy who was with us, uh, Chris, on the live stream, our, our guy, Denar Melton. Denar Melton played uh, football at JMU, uh, and, and he uh, sort of put John Daka's name out there to us uh, real late on Saturday night. <laughs> real, about, real late. Saturday. About two in the morning late. 
About two in the morning. And that's that's when names like John Daka come up. <laughs> two in the morning, people were talking about edge rushers and, and, and Denar was saying, I, I'm just looking for that speed guy off the edge. Just that guy that's just gonna come and just, you know, be flying off the edge. And John Daka was a name that came up. So led the FCS uh last year in sacks again, like sixteen, maybe sixteen and a half. Uh, also let them in tackles for a loss. Usually those two things go hand in hand. Um, you know, and, and one thing we know about the Ravens, uh, they believe that college sack production translate to the pros. They they believe that big time. So, um, you know, Doc is a guy to kind of keep your eye on. Uh, another guy, Chauncey Rivers. A um, little bit of a, of, a, of a checkered, you know, story in his past in terms of getting into some legal trouble. But a guy with um, a pedigree, was a four-star recruit out of high school, went to Georgia. Uh, again, I mentioned the legal trouble, ended up getting dismissed from Georgia because of that, ended up at East Mississippi Community College. With, you know, We talked about Tyree Phillips being there. Uh, Chauncey Rivers was, was also there. And unfortunately for him, it was because of, of, of legal problems and, and, and not because he just hadn't played a whole lot of football. Uh, but he was able to get a, a second chance and transferred to Mississippi State with Tyree Phillips. So they were on the same team in 2019. And I think he actually ended up leading the Bulldogs defense in sacks. I don't think he had a ton. He might have had like five or six, but I think that that led the team uh, in 2019. But from what I did see of him, and I did get a chance to watch him, he's 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 got an on and off kind of quality to his play. You know, when he's on, you see that pedigree, you see those traits to come off the edge and get pressure on the quarterback, but uh, he's off a lot. You know, he, that switch doesn't always stay turned on. And, uh, you know, that inconsistency is, is, is a big, a big concern. You know, can he, can he get uh, the most out of that potential? The potential is great, but um, after a while, you know, it it becomes a word. It's, it's just that it's just a word. And, you know, if, if you can't, consistently display it on the field, then, you know, you're, you're not going to continue to get opportunities. So, you know, he'll, he'll have a look here for sure. Um, you know, with the Ravens who, who maybe do have some opportunity at that spot. So he's, he's a guy to keep an eye on. Um, we got through that relatively quick. Did you guys want to touch on any other UDFAs or you just want to jump into final thoughts and close out the show? Uh, I mean, I think we have to just bring up Rick Steiner's son, uh, <laughs> Just because he's he seems like he's already a fan favorite before he even steps on the field. Um, he's a, he's an interesting guy, has some interesting measurables, um, but uh, hopefully he's a guy who could stick around on the practice squad. But I don't really see much of a role for him. Yeah, Bronson Rex Steiner. I'm not Rex sure Steiner. how to pronounce. Yeah, the I first part so. of his name. We know we know Steiner. Yeah, like you said his his dad used to to wrestle in the WWF. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, when you, when you see the guy, when you see his highlights, which is all I've seen so far, uh, he's a fullback in a double wing offense an op double wing option offense. And so he looks like you would expect a fullback in a double wing option. offense. <laughs> like, uh, and, and actually he was an a back. I don't, he, he probably will correct me on that. He played the a back. Uh, and so if you, if you follow, uh, Georgia tech say when Paul Johnson was there, the a back. And their offense actually is a guy who gets a lot of carries on the dives and the inside runs and that kind of thing. Essentially a fullback, but they don't they don't really use that terminology. They use a back, b back, that kind of thing. So um, he definitely looks the part uh, for 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 that kind of role. But you're right, we, he's got he's got some fans already. 
but some of it's going a little too far. He got a little reckless talk out there about he's going to take Pat Ricard's spot. On <laughs> let's just pump the brakes on that. Uh, you know, let, let's see if the guy can, you know, get through, you know, an NFL practice before we, <laughs> before we start saying he's going to take uh pro bowl fullbacks job. So, um, Carrie, about you, anybody else? Are you ready to jump into the final thoughts? No, nah, I really didn't have anybody else. I mean, like I think we were talking about before, it's kind of hard to, um, you know, gauge just how serious a lot of these guys uh, standing would be with the team. I mean, some of these guys, you know, they may not they may not even make it to training camp, just depending on other moves that the team makes or, you know, other UDFAs that may become available at different spots. So, um I think we've hit on the main ones that I think really have kind of potential to have staying power as far as, you know, maybe making the back end of the roster or uh, being in that practice squad uh, contention. And um, I think we'll just kind of wait and see on the rest of the guys and see if, you know, somebody else emerges. Always, always good advice for the UDFA class. Don't don't fall in love. You know, they, they talk about it like when you go out house hunting. Right. Don't fall in love with a house. Because if it falls through for whatever reason, you can't get the house. Now you're all disappointed and heartbroken. Well, really, what you need to remember is there's always another house out there. So <laughs> don't 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 fall in love. Uh, yeah, I, I tweeted, I've done it. Yeah, I tweeted it out. Um, I watched the center, I think, from uh, Monmouth. I think he was from. And uh, I was like, oh, this guy seems interesting. And then a week later, he quit football. So I wasted all that time watching this this center for Monmouth and and for nothing. It can break your heart, man. It can break your heart. And even 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 if they make it through, you know, the the schedule is going to be a little bit different this year with maybe not having OTAs or a short training camp. But even if they can make it through OTAs and training camp, and let's say they even actually make it onto the roster, um, even then sometimes, you know what I mean? It just never lasts. You know, there's highs and there's lows and it just never lasts. I know I, for me, I can go back and the guys like Laquan Williams, Jeremy Butler. Yeah. yeah you know, it just they just break your heart, you know. So and, and, and those guys, no, no fault of their own. I mean, they did everything they could and made the roster and, and, and got in some games. And, you know, the team just, you know, they, they, they didn't stick. So no fault of their own. But just you get attached to these guys and. Um, you know, sometimes they, they just, they just don't stick, you know, so what can you do? But anyway, Chris, let me start with you. Any, any, any final thoughts as we, we close out this episode? I just want to say thanks to everybody that's been, uh, you know, following us throughout this whole draft process. Um, it's been fun talking to everybody and, uh, chopping it up and exchanging ideas with everyone. And, you know, hopefully we're, you know, we, we could, continue to do it uh with you know other things outside of the draft and and you know more ravens talk ravens focused topics instead of just the draft yeah carrie how about you well, let me get your final thoughts uh yeah i just want to share those same sentiments man we appreciate the the support um like i said i think we had a good draft season i think we were able to bring some things to the um to the space that, you know, others won't necessarily bring in the same way, um, you know, just trying to be unique. I mean, there's a lot of great content out there, but we're just trying to, um, you know, 
bring something different to the table. So, you know, we're going to keep trying to do that and keep trying to push the envelope, keep trying to get better, um, you know, as a podcast. So we just uh, appreciate the support and uh, we're going to try to keep this thing going. Yeah, absolutely. I echo uh, all of those thoughts from you guys. Appreciate all the listens, appreciate, you know, the, the, the rates and the subscribes and, you know, please continue to do that. Please continue to share the word. Um, you know, we're just going to keep this thing rolling. And now we we're moving on, you know, steadily uh, towards the season. We we all, you know, still are kind of wondering what that's going to look like. But I'm confident that there will be a season, um, you know, when it starts is, is probably going to be altered. But I, I think that they're going to play football this year. And that's definitely going to be something exciting to look forward to. You know, we saw what last season was like. It was a hell of a ride, one of the most exciting Raven seasons I can ever remember watching, um, aside from the ones where and it was Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> but but exciting regular seasons, I should say. And, you know, you got the league, you know, reigning MVP on your team. So there's a lot to be excited about. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that and more uh, as, as the rest of the offseason continues to go on. So. Uh, for me, for Chris, for Carrie, that's going to be it for this one. And we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. <laughs>